Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. So Ephesians 4. Um, If you were here back in December, we had a Vantage Point Sunday, and we talked about um, the fivefold gifts, and we brought up each of the uh, directors in our fivefold executive uh, ministry leadership, um, and you heard from each one of these folks talking about all the different things that are happening beneath that covering um, within the church. And we talked about these, and we have been talking about them for a year because I think it was in January of 22 that we sort of reorged our church around um, the fivefold and the governance of each of those ministries, um, directing all the ministries that follow un- under them. So that shouldn't be a new teaching to you, but I wanted to back up one verse and read through it. So if you would go with me to verse 10. And um, I, have a, I have a new living Bible up here, but I'm going to be like that kid in science class that hides the comic book inside the science textbook. Here it is right here. You know, I just, uh, I need to read it out of this for now. So verse 10 says, he who descended, he is Jesus, capital H, Jesus, right? He who descended is he himself also who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fulfill all things. And verse 11, this one we know well, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen? That's the word of the Lord. And it's good. It's good. So y'all know that in Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter very clearly, he says, Peter, uh, I will build my church, right? He says that. And a lot of us that want to relieve ourselves from, you know, different duties or responsibilities that go along with the gifts and the calling on our lives, we use that as a get out of jail free card. We say, we, we have a lot of those as Christians. We say, oh, we can't build a church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And it's true. He says this. And the truth is the hard other side of this is that if indeed we are the ones building the church, then it's not actually his church. His church is one that he builds. When we build a church, it belongs to someone, but it's not him, which should be a sobering thought when, we, uh, when we're really good. I mean, I think of, you know, the last time people tried to build a tower to reach to heaven caused a big problem. If you remember Babel? Anyway, okay, it's an inside joke for Old Testamenters. <laughs> Uh, It was a big problem. So the deal is this. He says, I'm building my church. But in Ephesians, we find Jesus distributing these gifts specifically with the intent to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and to construct. That word, uh, many of your Bibles translate it uh, edify. Some translations say strengthen. That word really just at its most basic root is to build to construct. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. He's going to build his church. We shouldn't have anything to do with it. Well, Jesus builds his church the way Jesus wants to build his church. And the way he wants to build it is through the gifts, the fivefold ministry gifts that he gives people for the purpose of equipping saints for the work of the ministry so that the church can be built. That's how he wants to build it. I, I say he gets it the way he wants it. Amen. 
So, moving forward from there, we see this order of things. And if you've been with us long, you know how important order is. And so, when I was first writing this, it was, um, I was trying to figure out if this was going to be one message or three. And then worship went so long in the first service, the Lord just answered it for me. This is going to be three messages instead of one. And y'all should be thankful because now it's going to be one short message. I mean, three short messages instead of one really wicked long one. So you're welcome. But this line, he, he says, and this is, we're just going to park here in this one phrase, to equip the saints. To equip the saints. We're not even going to get to the work of the ministry or the edifying, the strengthening, the building of the church yet. Because it has to start with the equipping of the saints. In fact, it actually has to start with the distribution and the recognition of the fivefold gifts. And we've spent a year allowing the Lord to sort of help us rediscover the purpose of those gifts. Not just the ones that we're used to. Not just the preachers and the teachers. And oh yeah, there should be some evangelists that come around every once in a while and light a fire under our rear ends. Because that's what the American church has grown to love. We just like that thrill, that like, woo, I should get somebody saved. Okay, pastor, clean that up. To discover the fivefold means to come back into the order and the government that God called for, for his church. And once that's taken place, the equipping begins. Now, years ago, and it was when we first started, it was in our first year, year and a half, and the Lord had me do a deep dive on this word equip. Can you just put that verse up there? Uh, who's back there? I can't even see you. Would you mind? Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. For the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. So that word equip, I did a deep dive on this years ago because I was getting a little bothered. I was getting a little irritated about how we, we as pastors and people in ministry would throw that line around. Well, we're just here to equip the saints. We're just equipping the saints. Our job is just to equip the saints. Well, what does that even mean? And so as I started to go down the rabbit hole of equipping, the Lord brought me to this, this Greek word that it's translated from. And it's important that we get this. I've preached on it probably once before. I've spoken at conferences on this. I've done studies on this. I've done one-on-ones with this, with other pastors and folks in ministry. But it comes from this Greek word, katartismos. Katartismos is used exactly one time in all of Scripture, and it's right here. Now, there are other slightly different forms of this word. Um, one of them, katartisman, we see the grammar shift a little bit, and it shows up in this place where Jesus walks up and is calling the disciples. He finds them, it says, mending their nets. And as it comes, this word, katartisman, has a couple of uses in secular industries. And I think it's important that we understand what those uses are because of how they project a reality on the bride today. Number one, the mending of nets. If you've ever been a part of any big evangelistic thrust in the last, I'll say, 20 years, then you know it's hard not to come away from those things disappointed. Is that fair? Again, feel free to shoot me an email. We feel all the fish in the net. It's like the, oh, it's like the story every fisherman tells you, the one that got away, right? We try to pull this thing in. There must be a billion in here. And we try to pull it over the side. And by the time we actually get the net over, emptied out in the boat, there's a few half-dead fish and a wet boot. 
in the bottom of the thing and you're like, are you kidding me? What happened? Well, we haven't been mending our nets. When Jesus finds the disciples, he can actually call them to be fishers of men because he sees the responsibility of how they're taking care of that which captures. We have lost the art of capturing people with the gospel. We've tried to capture them with pizza and PT cruisers instead. And, and, and I'm, I only say that because I was, anyway, it's this thing in Florida. They were giving away a free PT cruiser, and I've never let them live it down. Anyway, I don't even think they make those anymore. It's an abomination. If anybody drives one, this, I'll help. Anyway, well, yeah. So the first thing was mending nets. The second, the second field or industry that this word would have been found in or used in was the medical industry. And it would have been um, in, the, in the meaning of setting broken bones. And when I preached on this the last time, I used these two fingers as an illustration because it's the best I've got. I broke both these fingers separately a couple years apart. This one I broke in a table saw. And it was sticking out at like a 90 degree angle. And the surgeon said, you're going to need to wear this cast. And so I had this thing that looked like something from Hannibal Lecter or whatever. And it was like strapped around and like held up everything like this. It was real, real bad. I couldn't play the piano. I tried playing bass guitar once or twice in service. It was also an abomination. And I almost got fired from the church. So anyway, lo and behold, it healed straight. And I have full mobility with this finger. This finger I broke a couple years later, water tubing behind Eric DeLong's boat, and I never went and had it casted or straightened out, and so it healed crooked. Now, I think we as a church underestimate the power of healing, because a living organism was created to heal itself, and the church is a living organism, also possessing the power to self-heal. That's an incredible blessing until it's not. Because saints, when we're not aligned, when we're not set, the broken places in us heal broken. They heal crooked. And that may be fine, you know, for a little while when you, it's like, well, I can bend it. It's still a little sore, you know. It's a little, you know, I'm a little tender with it, whatever. But what happens is you stack a few years on that and you're like, I can't get out of bed when it rains. You stack a few more years on that, and you, and you begin to lose mobility. And a generation later, you are completely paralyzed, handicapped by something that broke and healed the wrong way. The Church of New England, saints, needs to be equipped this way. And it hurts. That's why in every OR, there's a hammer. And in this church... There's a hammer. And sometimes the greatest thing the Holy Spirit can do feels like the most painful thing that's ever happened. A re-breaking. A re-breaking and a resetting of those places so that we regain full mobility so that the bride can rise so she can walk in the fullness of her destiny. Amen? This stuff, Bonnie, Mark is the first guy I've ever heard teach on this since the Lord showed it to me. First guy. I'm like, okay, Mark, I've never met this guy, but I'm going to meet him. I'm going to fly out there and buy him a, buy him a Frappuccino or something. 
So equip. We see a couple of these things, and it's so important that we allow the Lord to do business with us. I've talked to pastors of churches who the church is 100 years old, and the pastor's like, you know, my age. And, I'm, and, I, and I've said, hey, man, I remember one in particular. And I, and I pulled him aside at this thing, and I was like, hey, I, I feel like the Lord's giving me this word for you. And I start to talk to him about this thing. And, hey, hey, listen, this isn't your fault. You inherited this problem. But the Lord wants to re-break some things that heal back crooked. And your church is walking with a limp and has been for generations. Because it healed the wrong way. But I'll tell you what, that's a hard truth to hear. And it's something that, that we've got to be sensitive to in our own lives. Let the Lord break what needs breaking. And finally, he says, he says to equip the saints. The saints. Now, I haven't preached on this part before. But as I'm in this book, I'm just like getting wrecked. Because from day one, I've always called our church saints. If you've been here a long time, you know I said like, oh, good morning, saints. And, uh, and I've had people like not like it. That's a great question, Esther. I lay in bed at night and wonder, really? Is that a good reason? I mean, I, got, I give you guys a lot of reasons to not come back. That's not one of them. You know what I'm saying? The Bible calls us saints. Why are we so doggone uncomfortable with it? Why hasn't that name caught on? It was Dean Gallagher at Zion Bible College. Dean Gallagher used to call us saints. And it just stuck with me. Like things do when it's really the Lord and not just a man. It stuck to my inside. And it was, it was a part of a work that God had begun in me. And my prayer is that as you hear that name spoken over you, that it's part of a new identity. Why are we so uncomfortable being called saints? Why isn't that one of the, the names that we, that we like to put on the hello, my name is tag? Why? I'll tell you why. Because we're more comfortable identifying as sinners. Because it's easier to keep running backward to an empty cross than it is to run forward to a full destiny in Christ. That's why. Here comes one more disclaimer. I love Catholics. I do. No matter what I'm about to say. I love Catholics. And we have a lot of awesome Catholics who worship with us, spirit-filled Catholics, who, who God has done incredible things with and through and in. So do not misunderstand me here, but I'm going to say something that may be hard for some people in the room. A crucifix with Jesus still on it tells a half-truth that keeps us living a full lie. A crucifix with Jesus on it tells only a half-truth that keeps us living a full lie. Why? Why? Because it keeps us in a punishment for sin cycle. It keeps us in this cycle. See, the, 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 the path that we're on is not a circle. Okay, it's a journey, right? The path that he prepared for the righteous man when he says, I'll prepare the path of the righteous man. That path is not a circle. It does not come back to where it started. I love this church. It's a journey, and it looks like this. The journey starts with sin because we're born into sin. And sin drags us to the cross. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And we belong on a cross. 
But what happens is by the goodness of God, by the Spirit of God, approaching that cross, we find Jesus. We find salvation. Salvation, it drives us closer and closer to Christ. And Christ then fills us with his Spirit. And his Spirit then delivers us to the Father. That's a journey. But Jesus, still on the cross, doesn't point to power. It points to punishment. And punishment leads us back to sin. Did anybody have a mom that said, go stand in that corner and think about what you did? (laughs) Stand in that corner. Zachary, Zachary Thomas, think about what you did. Well not going to say that there may not be a time and a place for, you know, reflecting on the consequences of your actions. But the Lord does not put us in a corner to stand and think about what we did. He calls us out. He calls us out. The church is called out. And he points to power, not punishment. The church points to punishment. Why? Because it's become our best way of controlling people. It's become our best method of manipulation to to keep everybody in line. I don't want a church that's in line for rules and, and what happens when we break them. I want a church that's in line with whatever the Lord's calling for today. And in order to be that bride, we have to leave the cross. Now, somebody is going to get your feelings hurt. You're going, to, you're going to get offended, and I don't want it to happen. But we have idolized the cross. We have made the cross our Savior, and it is not our Savior. We're more comfortable with, with, with words like redeemed or restored or saved or born again. Or here's, here's everybody's favorite. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You were a sinner who was saved by grace, and now you're a saint. That's the word of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord, and we've got to own it. Is there anything wrong with names like saved and born again and redeemed? No, of course not. All of those things are true, but they all connect us back to our sinful past, and they lead us back to the cross when we stay consumed with that sin, even when we're walking in victory over it. See how there's only a few claps there? I'll tell you why right now. I'm going to tell you why. I've met with so many guys. This is just the best example that comes to my mind. I've, I've walked with so many guys um, through addiction, sexual addiction and brokenness. And, um, and I myself, this has been a huge vice, a huge struggle of mine over years. And what I have found and what I've talked to so many guys about as the Lord would reveal it to me is that Even when we're living in victory, so often it's because we are completely consumed with not doing that thing. The cold, hard truth of that is that the enemy is still winning because our minds are completely consumed. We're we're obsessed with not doing something. So much so that it's, it's still on the front and the back and every side of our mind. And that's not what he called us to. That's still a mind plagued with the thumbprint of sin and brokenness. 
What he's called us to is the renewing of our mind, which then ushers in a transformation. And we're back on the journey and out of the circle, out of the loop, out of the cycle. The cycle, the cycle won't let us get very far from this cross. But I want to tell you something right now. Jesus is not anywhere close to that cross. He's not on that cross anymore. On that cross, there's some sticks that are painted white and, and some lights. Jesus isn't there anymore. He's not on the cross anymore, saints. And it's so important that we understand this because the godlessness of religion seeks to attribute power and assign veneration to people, places, and things. Relics, symbols, burial sites, and places where the people whose bones rest there once performed miracles. I've talked to people who, who spend their life savings flying all over the world to visit places where somebody saw the, the face of Jesus show up in mildew on the side of a Pueblo. What? I'm telling you, it was in the burnt crust on the piece of toast. I saw him there looking right back at me. He said, man does not live on bread alone. Saints, the heresy, the heresy of this homage, the heresy of this homage is that it is the pursuit of something other than Jesus. In fact, the irony of traveling the world to look for images is that he said, thou shalt not create images. I mean, it's just one of the ten. And yet we adorn our lives with these things. The cross, really? Really? Would anybody in here, would you love it if the people closest to you decorated their houses with pictures of you at your lowest moment? Would that just be a blessing to you when you came over? <laughs> Remember when you... <laughs> How about... How about life-size carvings of you in that moment when even God had to turn his back on you? That is sick. That is sick. We have to get rid of the idols. We have to get rid of this stuff. This stuff that points to Jesus in a place where he hasn't been for 2,000 years. There's no crosses in heaven. There's no crosses on the wall in the throne room. You know what there is? There's scars in the hands and feet of Jesus that say, that thing had no power over me. We're not after the cross. We're not after the cross. We're after the one who conquered sin on it. And saints, it is about time that the people of God start marching forward. If you need a name for today's sermon, it's when the saints go marching out. When the saints go marching out. That's why we're saints. Saints don't have to come back to the cross wondering if that same old sacrifice can cover their brand new sin. Saints are free to pursue the Lord right into the throne room. The last thing I want to say is that somebody blowing a shofar in here? 
that was the rapture. (laughs) That's how good God is. He's going to take you before the last point. Thank you, Lord. The last point is this. My favorite thing, my favorite thing about this thing, and, and some of you in here, you're not feeling worthy to be called a saint. And there's something that I want to be beautiful about that, but it's, it's not. It's not. It's actually, it's actually more akin to the accuser of the brethren than it is to real humility. Real humility doesn't keep us at the cross. Real humility acknowledges that God is big enough to robe us in white. That Jesus' righteousness is big enough to cover even your mess. That's real humility. Not this, this groveling in weakness that says, I can never be more than just a, you know, we like attach this thing on the back of us, this retractable string so that we, we try to get away and it just pulls us back. That's a cycle of shame and sin. Jesus conquered it. It's over. If you're feeling that way this morning, I want to leave you with this. One of the interesting ways that that word katartizman is translated right here is perfecting. For the perfecting of the saints. Some of your Bibles say it. It's easy. I hope you write all of these in your margins. Setting broken bones. There's somebody in here, and that's the work that needs to happen. The Lord just needs to break some stuff, cast it up, inconvenience you, discomfort you for a little while, get the cast on and off before the summer so you can swim. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I love that. Now is the time. For some of you, it is the nets. There's some evangelists in the room. There's some people with hearts for prodigals like what we prayed for this morning. And, you've, and you've, you've just beaten your head against the wall trying to win some lost loved one to only to keep finding the wet, soggy boot and the tin can in your boat instead of that one who you keep casting the net towards. There are things in us that need mending before that harvest comes in. Finally, perfecting. You know what the best part about that is? Just that version, that translation. What it means is that the saints aren't perfect yet. It means you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. This isn't isn't about you being perfect yet. You don't need to have raised somebody from the dead. I know that there are other religions and sects of faith that you know will only attribute sainthood to certain people if if a group of people agree on it i don't care if nobody agrees on it if the lord said you're a saint i don't care if i don't agree if he calls you a saint who the heck are we to say boo about it stop this isn't about you being perfect Sainthood shifts our attention away from our sin and onto our assignment. If you're ready for it, stand up. Jesus.
if you're in here this morning and you say, Zach, I, I don't actually know anything about this sainthood because I've, I've never actually known Jesus as my Savior. I've known him as the guy, the wood carving on the cross. I've known him. I've known him in, as the one that's, whose name is taken in vain around my house, my workplace. I've known him as somebody else's friend, but never as mine. If that's you, good luck. Because today, you're going to meet him. This is exactly where you're supposed to be. Good luck in holding on to anything from your past. Good luck in holding on to any old identity. Because we release it all when we come into this knowledge, this understanding, this faith. The Bible says we're not, we're not justified. We're not made righteous by works. We're not, we're not, made, um, we're not made holy by uh, how much we give or, or how much we do. We're made whole by his sacrifice. The journey does start at the cross. And so if that's you this morning and you've never asked the Lord to come into your heart, if you've never accepted the forgiveness of your sins and you're still living under that weight, you say, Zach, I am a sinner and I can't even say that I'm saved by grace yet. We're gonna pray a prayer together as a church. And if you've never prayed this prayer, I wanna encourage you. Pray it and mean it in your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for the cross. And this morning, we accept this gift, this thing that we could not earn and we do not deserve. We accept your sacrifice as the covering of our sins and this forgiveness that you extend to us. We invite you now to come into our hearts, change our lives, and call us by your name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now we're all saints. It's one o'clock, and there's a part of me that wants to have people come down who feel like you're in that cycle. Um, because I think something, something needs to be driven into the ground so that we can so that we can wave sayonara to the past so that we can say good luck to the enemy to to whatever it is the lies that are continuing to be told so that we can say it's over and and so i know that for some of you you need to slip out if you need to please do so quietly because here's what i love just if we can open up these altars and i know that historically the altars are always this place where you come to the to the cross, you come down and you, you give your heart to the Lord. And, and so they're associated with the transference of sin.
But the, the real powerful thing about the altar is that it's a place where we can keep coming back to in freedom from that sin, to, to grow closer, to draw nearer to the Lord. And so if you're in the house this morning and you're in that cycle, and maybe it's like a three-week cycle or a three-month cycle, or maybe it's this, this multi-year pattern Maybe it's like, well, every spring this happens or, you know, I'm on the way out because of, you know, the winter's like my low point and I go right back into all my old addictions and all my old stuff. And so I don't feel like a saint, Zach. Well, if that's you, I would love to spend a little time in prayer with you this morning. So would you step out of your seat? There's no shame in this. In fact, the whole point of this is that there is no shame. So if you're in the room this morning and that's you and you'd say, yeah, I need to break that cycle. Step out of your seat and meet me down here because it's imperative that we become the church that is no longer encumbered or hindered or burdened by that past, by those chains. Amen? Anybody else in here? Good. I'm going to have Pastor John and our prayer team. If you guys would come and minister to some folks up here, pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, come on, keep coming, keep coming. A couple more steps so we can get some people out of the aisles here. It's good, it's good. Come on down. <laughs> that prayer that we just prayed, that's a prayer, that's a prayer to the cross. But the prayers that we're getting ready to pray down here right now, it's a prayer away from the cross and towards Jesus Christ. We weren't called to the cross to stay there. We were called to follow him. Follow him. If you have a crucifix with Jesus still on it, just get rid of it, okay? Get rid of it. Take a what? Take a couple steps forward down here. Yeah, take a couple steps forward so we can get some folks behind you. If you need to slip out, God bless you. Go in peace. Have the best day of your lives. If you should be down here and you're not yet, there's still room. Come on down. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you so much for your presence, and we thank you for the call. We thank you, Lord, that the cross is not a place we need to stay, Lord, but it's a place that we can reflect on and remember. It's a place that we can honor as, a, as, a, as a, the commencement of this journey, but Lord, that you never wanted us to live our lives consumed with punishment. You never wanted us to walk under the weight and the burden of, of those wages of sin that you took on for us. And so right now, God, I pray that a spirit of sainthood, that the whiteness, whiter than any launderer's soap can, can achieve or perform, that the righteousness of Jesus Christ would rest upon your sons and daughters in such a way that it is undeniable, Lord, who we are and what we've been called to that it is undeniable, Lord, that, that there is a journey and a path set before us. And so, Lord, in obedience, we say the world behind us, God, you before us, you before us. Lord, we follow after you. We follow and hunger and thirst after you. Forgive us, Lord, for our obsession with the tangible things with the touchable, feelable, buyable, smellable things, the relics, the symbols, the images, the angels, and the gold dust. Lord, we forsake it all. We forfeit it all to come after you, your destiny, your side. In Jesus' name.
This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.